is the Starting Why Podcast. Here we ask entrepreneurs, actors, investors, innovative, and artists on the why. Why they are doing what they are doing, what motivates and drives them, and why can't they stop. We will start in five, four, three, two, one. Hey guys, hello and welcome back to Starting Why. Today, you're listening to another interview with Joe, and today I do have a guest. Hey, Barad, how you doing? Hey, Joe, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Totally my pleasure. Where are you located? I am in beautiful, sunny Northern California, right next to Silicon Valley. Oh, that looks good. One question, did you already have an earthquake today? <laughs> Not yet, but it is still early in the day. <laughs> Okay, I see, I see, I see. And we're talking for a very special reason because here at Starting Why, we are working on the mental framework of entrepreneurs stop going to be startup founders and investors. And today you are here, my guest, because we will talk about the different values of a startup and how you could evaluate a startup, right? That is correct. I mean, there are so many ways to evaluate a startup. You know, the best way is uh, called the rule of thumb method. And you want to know what a rule of thumb method is? Maybe before we do that, we could shortly talk a little bit about you, who you are and what you're doing, and that we're not just randomly pick this topic here, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, makes sense. Okay. Tell us a little bit about you and what you're doing for a living. So I am a valuation expert. And that means is I tell founders and company owners what their companies are worth. So, you know, founders of companies are always looking to raise capital, could be debt or equity. And before they do that, they need to know what their companies are worth. Or on the other side of the spectrum, if a venture capitalist or a private equity buyer is looking to invest or buy a company, they need to know uh, what their investment is worth. And the first step is to come and talk to me. So that's what I help people with. Okay, just assume now I just bumped into your office. I said, hey, I'm Joe. I have a startup. How would you approach that? I will say fantastic. I have two questions for you. The first question is, do you have revenue? Yes. Fantastic. Have you raised capital? No. Okay. Do you have a profit? Yes. Okay. If you have revenue and if you have profit, that is great. Why do you need a valuation? I want to have additional investments. Okay. So, yes, I can help you with this. You have revenue, you have profitability, you have not raised capital before. Uh, why do you want to raise capital? For an expansion. What would you expand to? Are you looking to expand into new markets as in new customers or offer more products to the same customers? For simplicity, let's say the same product, but in different geographies, not like different markets, like approaching different companies, but also different geographies. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Yes, I'm happy to do the valuation for you. And, you know, the way we can do the valuation is we will value 100% of your company. And then you and your investor can decide 
based on how much capital you want to raise and can raise how much of your company you will have to give away. That sounds pretty good. And now let's get a little bit out of this little play and start thinking about what startup founders should bring along. And I do believe since I made it very, very easy for you because I do have revenue and I already do have profits, I do believe most startups do have some type of revenue, but actually most of them, in the, at least in the early stages, they won't have any profits, maybe even for some time. I'm not sure if Uber or WeWork have ever been profitable, even though they're multi-billion dollar companies. Can we talk a little bit about what you first wanted to tell us about the rule of thumb and then go through a few decisions like a decision tree, how startup founders could get a first idea of how to approach the problem, how to tackle the problem. Yes. So the rule of thumb in any startup is if a startup is two guys and an idea working out of a garage, that is worth anywhere between one to two million dollars. They don't need revenue. They don't need profit. They don't need a product. But two smart guys with credible credibility, if they're looking to build a startup, that's worth anywhere between one to two million dollars. Now, you are far ahead of that. You have revenue, you have profit. So in your case, it becomes a little more complicated and we will have to run something called a discounted cash flow analysis on your business where we're looking at the cash flow your business will give a potential buyer for the next two, four, five, ten years and present value that cash flow to today. And whatever the summation of that present value is, that's the value of your business. And basically, that is, I will not say an easy method of valuation. We also know this here in Germany. Basically, what we do here in Germany, we not only take the cash flow, but we also deduce all the taxes from it. So basically, that's when you get here in Germany, very, very, very much simplified a company valuation in the cash flow after tax basis. In Germany, called, attention, very simple name, Ertragswertverfahren, which is actually not too different from a discounted cash flow approach you just talked about. But I do believe everything that has no revenue but potential and everything that has no profit, that is really, really hard to evaluate, right? Oh, very much so. Very much so. It's As I tell people, it very much is a valuation is a dark art in a dark room in a black box. <laughs> I had a great professor at university and he always told me to evaluate is to compare. And he always had this, I'm not making this up, he really said it. It's like you're comparing your partner, your wife, your domestic partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, by just having them next to other people. And that's how we evaluate. So every time you have a company that does similar stuff like WeWork, you can say, you can point at them and say, WeWork had this and this valuation. We're doing some things different. But basically, you already have like a house number about the size. How do you approach a problem where you don't have, let's say, at least a profit, but there's a big potential? 
that is usually the question with startups, right? I mean, startups usually mm-hmm. don't have any revenue. They don't have any product and they don't have any money, but they still need to attract investors and customers and employees. And they do all that based on valuation, which is in turn based on their future or their prospects. And the way future and prospects work, since none of us can actually see into the future, the best gauge I have for proxy of their future is their history of consistency. What they have done with consistency in the past is the best gauge for what they will continue achieving with consistency in the future. I see. So that is always one of the reasons people from well-known startups, people from well-known companies, they do get a better, no 100% certainty. There's no 100% certainty in life, but a better, maybe a few percentage point, higher probability to actually get money because they can always show, look, there's a track record. I did this there. I did this there. That's one of the reasons, right? Correct. Correct. So say, for example, if you want to open up an e-commerce store and you are a former employee at Walmart or Amazon, you have a pretty good chance of getting funding. But if you are a former nurse or a doctor and you're looking to build a e-commerce website, you probably will not get funding. Yeah, that's unless you're you're looking for a healthcare startup, right? Correct, correct. Unless you are looking for a healthcare startup, precisely. So that means the people valuing the companies are looking at what you know and what you've done in the past. That is one indicator, but also we talked about the potential. Some people uh, talk about option theory here, like it's an option and this and that. Do you also subscribe to this or how how would you take into account the potential of a company? We have now the founders, they have a legal entity, they have some good ideas where they already have a track record. And how would you include like the business there? The business, Joe, at the end of the day is the people. So if the people who are running the business, they have a track record and they have experience and they have the zeal and the knowledge to make the business into a success, the business will be successful. The business only legally is a standalone entity. Otherwise, business is just the people that makes up that business. Mm, Very wise words. Very wise words. So basically, if there is a founder out there They can already Google and get some ideas, but would you recommend to them first talk to a professional before they start raising venture capital or when they get the first term sheets that they then talk to a professional? Total disclaimer here, you should at least talk to a lawyer about that, not about the valuation of the company, but about all the legal constructs all the legal terms you're subscribing in this contract because it can really, really hurt you in the end. Very much so. Couldn't agree more. You know, the first starting point, Joe, is collecting good people who you get along with, who you believe in, and they believe in you to work with you on a startup. And if you have collective thoughts and collective consciousness, 
you will create a company that attracts more other similar people who have a parallel thought pattern. And the more you are successful in doing that, the more successful your company will become. I see, I see. That is going a little bit in the direction of corporate culture. Can you also take this into account like as a soft fact for evaluating a company? <laughs> I know, tricky question. I'm sorry. <laughs> corporate culture is kind of, think of it as a major ingredient in a dish like salt. Salt is a major ingredient in a dish. If it's inexistent or if it is too little or too much or too right or too wrong, you will know immediately. If it's perfect, the dish will taste perfect. You don't think about salt when the dish tastes perfect. You only think about salt when the dish does not seem to have the right amount of salt. So the culture is kind of like salt. Mm, I know, I know. That's an awesome way to understand this. And most of the people out there will be by now smiling because I guess you've listened to some of my other podcasts because I tend to talk a lot about food there. <laughs> well, food is really nourishing the soul. It's not nourishing your body, it's nourishing your soul. We've been talking now about 15 minutes about startup valuations and what goes in there. Can you talk a little bit about why they matter and how accurate such a valuation could be? Well, one thing I can tell you for sure that all evaluations are incorrect, but there are degrees of incorrectness. There are some valuations that are less incorrect, and there are some valuations that are very incorrect. You want to get a valuation that is less incorrect. So there is no such thing as an accurate valuation. If anything, they're all incorrect or all inaccurate. You just hope and pray that your valuation is less incorrect. That's why you're talking about sometimes about valuation opinions, right? Valuation is very much an opinion. And, you know, no one's opinion is incorrect, right? Everybody's opinion is their opinion. You cannot say your opinion is incorrect because that's their opinion. It's not a fact. Facts are incorrect or correct. Opinions are always correct. And let us go back to the question why those valuations matter. Because as you said very, very early on, like two guys in a garage, maybe with uh, two Apple computers, and they're coding and coding and an awesome product is there at the end. So basically at the beginning, let's say they are valued at 2 million. They get some investment and then they go on and then they do have a finished product, but with no big revenue. What would be like steps for that you would take there getting to a valuation opinion of such a startup when they're looking for something like a Series A investment to really get scale, to really get their tool rolled out? Yeah, I mean, such a startup that, you know, they have a product, but they don't have any revenue. They need to first find product market fit. I mean, you know, everybody can create a product in a vacuum, but somebody at the end of the day needs to buy that product. 
And the only way you know who or why or when they will buy that product is by understanding who the customer is. And that's what I mean by product market fit. 99% of the startups, they go out of business because they are unable to fight their optimum product market fit. So it, it's totally not easy to do that. I think everybody who's in startup business totally understands that. But do you see a value in having people already signed up or on a wait list to check out the problem to be a beta tester? Do you see a value, not necessarily in the valuation itself, but also as maybe the curry in the dish? <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. I mean, you know, it, it's very important. I mean, product and revenue is most important. And, you, you know, without that, you can't make a dish out of salt. You know, just culture, you know, is not a dish. You know, you still need the ingredients, you know, the meat and the potatoes and the vegetable or the rice, whatever. And that's the product and that's the customers, that's the employees and that's the investors. They all go in together and create this dish, which is really put together with the culture that helps all these people interact with one another. What else would you look at, especially, I do believe it's easier to really evaluate B2C startups that directly sell to customer where the product has a price and you can already see the first successes of selling something. But there are also B2B companies out there that really need a long breath for that. Is that something we talk to the right investors and then they say, yeah, okay, we understand that and we give you some runway to do that? Or what is your experience there between the B2B and the B2C startups at that stage? I mean, frankly, I don't think it matters if it's B2B or B2C. At the end of the day, it's people interacting with people. And if you're good at interacting with people, if you're good at handling people and understanding their problems, their needs, and your business is set up to solve their problems or issues or their needs, then you have a good company in your hands. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it all comes down to you have a team, you have a good product, and you have at least some customers already buying and best would be if you have a list of like 10,000 people who've already signed up and want to be right from the start on your platform using your tool using your app right correct huh okay so what we've learned so far i just want to wrap this up basically you have to show some type of track record You have to be one or two guys. You have to have one or two laptops and basically have an idea. So you can raise first funding and basically then you go on and need to produce your product, but also make sure that it's really something the market wants to have, right? To sell it, to have people signing up to it and best to make people pay for it already very early on. Correct. Joe, I just put in a YouTube video in the chat that I had produced about eight months ago. And that one talks about 
what it takes to bait a shark, as in kind of like Shark Tank, what it takes to create a company and find investors and get them to invest. You know, if you want to put this in your show notes, you know, I think your audience will benefit from this video. I see you've analyzed more than 800 deals. And can you give us a little wrap up in something like five to 10 minutes? Would you recommend there? The first thing in a startup environment is especially since you don't have any revenue, you don't have any product, you don't have any employees. So the only thing left for anyone to evaluate is you, the founder. So, you know, the most important thing in a startup is the founder or the founding team. If they're credible, they know what they're doing and they get along with each other. If they don't, or if they don't have credibility to work together, nobody is going to invest in their company. The second thing is track record. I mean, do they have any traction? Have they had any revenue or have they, do they have any users or paying customers? If they do, then that is also a leg up. And I would say good is to have users, but better is still having paying customers, even though admittedly, it's usually pretty tricky to get somebody to pay for something like a very early beta version of something which usually I would say doesn't necessarily work 100% as you want it. Very much. I mean, it's great to have chicken, but it's even better to have roasted chicken. <laughs> Still sticking with the food. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What would you recommend everybody who's listening to this right now? Admitting that a lot of people like more than half listening to this podcast are actually based outside of the US and that does not only include uh, Germany and Canada. <laughs> My suggestion would be don't try to build a product for everybody in the world or your local market. Try to build a product that a certain niche people could use globally. So a small niche people, say 10,000 people could use, but they could be living in the, anywhere in the world. If you have a product like that, then you truly have a business that's scalable globally. Now, how you scale that business, that depends on how as you grow and as you expand your company and find the product market fit. But if you have a product that serves a small niche of people, ideally, who are scattered globally, that's a great company to invest in. And why the scattered globally? Because then you could sell your product to somebody in Guatemala or Peru or Hong Kong or Germany or Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic. I mean, it doesn't matter. But you're going for that minute audience in different parts of the world. And of course, it may be a little bit tricky to really reach them, right? Correct. Huh. Oh, I see. But that's also something you should have accounted for in your planning because it's also important not only to have like a good product, to have some people to pay for it, but also to have any idea how to get the next clients on, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. So basically, everybody who'd like to learn more, we will link down here in the show notes your profile because i do believe you shared a lot of links with me before plus they can like your 
website, your YouTube channel, as well as I do believe you are also a contributor to uh, the Ink magazine, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. What do you like to write about there? I can, I mean, people at Ink Magazine have been very kind to me. Uh, I can pretty much write about anything I want to write about. Hmm. Also curry. You know, <laughs> I can write about uh, cooking. Oh, nice. I mean, as long as it's, uh, you know, uh, related somehow to business and something that, you know, people can learn from, I can write about anything. Pretty cool. I like that job. <laughs> Well, yeah, they've been they've been very nice to me. So you know, I'm I'm most grateful. Great. So let's end this recording with a mental high five to the guys at Ink Magazine. Absolutely. Oh, nice one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great. It was just a pleasure having you here, Joe. Thank you. It was a great pleasure, and I appreciate you having me. Totally my pleasure. Have a good day. Bye bye. You too. <laughs>